Paul has a interesting discussion with the Corinthians in that first letter that he wrote to them and in the first chapter. A lot of it helps us to try to get a perspective on the life we live, the, the trials, the tribulations that we face, and trying to remind us that as we look at life and its turmoil, and as we look at life with its ups and its downs, and sometimes it seems like more downs than ups, that we need to remember the wisdom of God is greater than our wisdom, and that He has a way of seeing things that we do not see, and a way of working in our lives that we do not at the time, or may not at the time, fully understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And again, for us to spend time or to reflect on that. The message of the cross, you have to crucify self. You have to deny self. You have to take up that cross and follow him. The way to life is the way through death, putting death to self in order that we might live with God. And to the world, that's just plain foolishness. But for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since, the, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which despise God or has God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. 
but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God, the righteousness and the sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There's no way for us to match God and wisdom and understanding. It is both humorous and sad to hear the wisdom of the mighty mighty intellects of the world today, to hear them try to describe how this world began. Mentioned at times that back in the dark ages when I was in school, in high school, the, the world was only five to six million years old. As time has gone by and the wisdom of man is now 20 to 50 billion years old and it's going up every year. They found out that what they thought could take place in five million years was not possible, nor is it possible in 20 billion years, and so they keep up in it. They find it hard to accept what God has done. I hear the, in the wisdom of man, I hear him talk and talk about the galaxy in which we live and the stars that we see and the scene when the star burns out after a couple billion years that God has already decided that before it burned out, so he's trying to fool us. The foolishness of man. They have no adequate explanation as to how this universe or how life really began. It's funny they deal with the universe and say foolish that God could create that full-grown already in existence and already decaying. They haven't explained how man got here. You know, did he, where did he come from? The old question of the chicken and the egg, which one came first? How did man get here? Except by God and his creation. God has chosen the foolish things. Man looks for the intellect. Man looks for the wisdom. Man does not look at the simplicity of what God has provided for us within his word, of what's involved in understanding how salvation comes to mankind. We're faced with many issues over which people will disagree. Any issue, it seems like, man will disagree with. Whatever you want to choose, somebody's going to disagree with you on it. And they always want to think that they're right. There are moral issues related to what is good and what is evil. And we live in a society where that is constantly trying to be changed as to what is morally good and what is morally evil. And it's an interesting discussion. I hear various ones at time talk about the futility of our judicial system, the inadequacy of the prison system. The fact is that we ought to just open the prisons up and let them all go, whether it's not doing any good. And I've asked them at times, I says, have you ever 
talk to who's, those that are in prison. I'm telling you, there are people in prison that you do not want to see being set free. They have no conscience. They have no morality. They're very freely willing to take up where they left off and what they did to put them behind bars. The things that they would do to humanity, I'll just leave it there, to humanity, you would not want them walking free or living next door to you. There's a reason why God has done the things that he has, but we debate those issues. We debate doctrinal issues related to what's right and what's wrong. And it's interesting to see how that changes over time when man is discussing it. But it's also interesting to note that God has not changed. His word still reads the same. For those who work with it, I'm taking their word for it. What it said in the Hebrew is the same thing it says in English. And what it says in the Greek is the same thing it says in English. It has not changed. Man is trying to change it, yes. But the pure word of God has not changed. And it simply makes the statements concerning salvation, makes a statement about right and wrong, and leaves no gray area in between. Remember years ago when I was in school and one of the professors would made the comment that there is no gray area, it's, white or, it's black or white. And I used to think, well, there, there seems to be some gray area. But the older I get, the more I find those gray areas aren't there. It's black or white. It's right or it's wrong. Not based on me. Not based on you. Not based upon a consensus that we may agree with. Based on God's word. It's right or it's wrong based on God's word. And that's as simple as it gets. And there's a day of reckoning. And that's as simple as it gets. John reminds us in John 5, 28 and 29 that there's going to come a day of judgment when God will raise the dead. The righteous and the unrighteous. And each one will receive the just due for their, what they've done in this life. That's right. That's fair. There is no excuse. Romans 1, 18 through 32 reminds us of that. First Corinthians 1, as we read this, this evening as well, reminds you of that. God has created. He's already set in motion. He's already told us through nature of the exactness that he has. And how man can understand the exactness of God's creation. And they can plan moonshots of going to Mars and going beyond that, sending out to the outer limits of the galaxy and send a spaceship that way and not get destroyed along the way. And they can understand how to do that, to calculate that. But they cannot understand how God designed it that way. It's amazing. The wisdom of man is foolishness in the eyes of God. We want to be so wise. And yet again, every time we think along that line, it doesn't take long to read Job 38 and 39, 43-42 as well. When Job wants to address God, that's the example that we get to work with in our life, if you will. Here is a man 
And all that he did was right. Here is a man who had deep compassion for his family. He was willing to offer up sacrifices for his sons in case they had done something. And they had not made the sacrifice. Job wanted to take care of that. He is one whom God boasted about, if you will. Tell him, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Hates evil and loves good. Satan tried to destroy him. We don't understand that. What we need to look at it and see, every time we see a disaster happen, what do we say? What do people say who do not have God? And a tornado comes through, or the fires out in California, or the hurricanes that come up this way, whatever else is there. Why did God allow that to happen? Why did God do that to individuals? Read Job there a little bit, chapters 1 and 2. Read the power that Satan had. Who took life? Who caused the pestilence? Satan. For what purpose? Why did God allow that? I think that goes to Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. God tested you these 40 years in the wilderness to know what is in your heart. Will you obey God or not? God wants to know what's in your heart. Will you obey God or not? Job was put to the test. He had his questions. And we have our questions. But you need to make sure that when you have the questions, you're not asking another human being, what do you think about this? You think God was right in doing that? You need to lay the petition before God. And then you'll come away as Job did. Whoa, I don't have a clue what's going on. I don't have an understanding. Where were you, God asked Job, when I laid the foundation of the world? Tell me if you know. Tell me if you understand the why I did what I did. We haven't even come close to understanding what God has done, just in the physical world in which we live, let alone the spiritual realm, which we, which we really do not understand. Why does God allow that? He wants to know what's in your heart. So through the foolishness, it's not foolishness of preaching. It's foolishness of the message preached. See, it's in the world that the message is foolish to them. You can have no hope of heaven unless you put yourself to death. That doesn't even seem to make sense to, to the world. Unless you deny yourself and take up that cross daily, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you're willing to lose all in this world, you cannot be my disciple. But the world wrestles with that. The world wrestles with this world. See, to them, this world is home. It's where they live, it's where they dwell. They don't see anything beyond this world. But again, 
they have not taken the time to read Ecclesiastes, where God will clearly state that foolishness of living a life apart from God. And at times, things happen for us, and some of the songs chosen were tremendous. I love you, Lord. May you take joy, my Lord, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ears. You think about that. You listen to what I'm saying, Lord. Oh, what I think, what I say, do I really, am I really thinking that may that be a sweet, sweet sound in the ears of the Lord? Or have I picked up some of the characteristics of the world? Do I grumble about my lot? Do I complain about what's going on, what I see, or what I'm experiencing in this world? Do I wonder the why? Do I question Romans 8.28? Do I honestly, sincerely believe that all things, the rug jerked out from under your feet, falling flat on your face, a terminal illness being given, a permanent disability that hinders what you're able to do. Do I honestly, sincerely believe that it all works together for good to those who love the Lord and to those who are called according to His purpose? Does the meditation of my heart Are they a sweet, sweet sound to the Lord? Or if I listen to the world that wants to say, you're foolish in what you've chosen to do. That message of the cross, foolishness, the idea of a crucified Savior dying for the sins of the world, the concept of one. The world wants to say one man. But the concept of one, God's Son, having to die that physical death in order that I might have the opportunity to become a child of His. Do I let the world sneak in my thinking? What's important? How much do we how much do we love his word? I know it's a short psalm, but 
I still challenge you to read Psalm 119. Spend some time with that. There's hardly a verse in that psalm that does not talk about the Word of God. It's my meditation all the day long. It shows me the way that I ought to go, hating evil and loving right. How much do I love the Word of God? How many times How many times have we made excuses for why we do not spend more time in his word? What reasons do we give? Well, they're not reasons. They're excuses. What excuses do we give? For that not being my meditation all the day long. For that not being the food for my soul. For that not being the guide in my life. For that not being the hope that I have of eternity with God. How much do I love the Lord? And how much do I love his word? It's described as a mirror of our soul. That as we read it, as we study it, oh, God in his wisdom and in his love and in his patience has a way of working through that word to cut the heart of man. To break it. To break his arrogance. To break his independence. To break its selfishness. And then to read, Jesus left as an example to follow in his steps. Walk in the steps of the Master. The question is, will you? Will we? Will I? Will we walk in the steps of the Master? Believing with all our heart and all our soul and with all our mind. The wisdom of God is beyond our comprehension, but not not beyond His blessing us as we serve Him. Hark the gentle voice. It's always been one of those songs I feel challenged by. It doesn't boastfully, arrogantly, loudly demand you follow him. He gently encourages you to love him enough to follow him. That's the choice that you have to make as an individual.
And it's a choice that God in his love and his mercy, his long-suffering and his forbearance, has granted you up to this moment, time. How long will that time be that he'll bear with you? That we do not know. So now is the time of that, heart, that gentle voice of Jesus' calling. If you need to respond to it in a public way, to become that child of God or to renew that life in Christ Jesus again, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.